Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, August 9th. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. We have had an opportunity to see 30 minutes of practice. Talk to Brian Kelly after Saturday's session. And uh, the pace picks up this week when we talk to Marcus Freeman. And then a full practice on Thursday. Uh, topics of interest coming out of Saturday. Jordan Botello on the field. Brian Kelly doesn't understand where all the rumors came from about uh, Jordan Botello, but he is out there. Um, the the Jarrett Patterson situation, he's at center. Zeke Carell is at guard. Captains will be named. Let's start, guys, with um, – let's let's start with Patterson at center, Carell at guard. I think we all understood what was trying to be done when it was first suggested that Patterson would uh, move out of the center position. I can make an argument on both sides. Just what your thoughts are with Jarrett Patterson at uh, starting center and Zeke Corral at left guard. I like a good thing for Patterson and a very, I, I'm, I wonder what is how this sorts out for Zeke Corral um, because he's not built the way that Noreen wants guards to be built. Yeah, it certainly uh, opens the door for a, did Rocco Spindler show enough at guard where now they can just have Patterson, their best lineman, play his best position? Um, I don't really don't know what other match they should have in there. We 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 discussed pre-podcast that Josh Lug obviously started right guard when needed last year, uh, but they have said multiple times he's a his best position is right tackle. So if you're putting Patterson in his best position, put Josh Lug in his best position too. I, I think maybe it opens the door for Spindler most, right, to to go head to head with Zeke Carell. Um, and Tim, you said you can make a, you can make an argument both ways, and clearly they went with the argument of our best offensive line is playing his best position. Now let's go. Right, and I and I understand that, yeah. uh, but I I think we all felt like Zeke Corral played pretty darn well against North Carolina, Alabama, so it made sense to us that he would be at center, and and you know that Patterson can play any one of the five positions and and play them well. And, and Brian Kelly even said on Saturday you could make a case that you know Patterson at center, Corral at guard may not be. Totally in the best interest. He didn't say all this, but may not be totally in the best interest of the team and the alignment of the offensive line. I think that's the case he was trying to make all spring too, <laughs> with, yes. with the with the move of, of yeah. Patterson to guard. Yeah. He has a lot to balance. Um, I mean, you want to keep your potential team captain and top four player happy, focused, and engaged as well, right? Yeah, There's... and I, I didn't look. I didn't think of it in terms of now Spindler can compete with Corral, but I think I think you make a really good point. Uh, and Corral just can't. He just can't hold weight. I, I, you know, it's, it's, he has struggled to, to, to get over 300. And then when he's gotten there, he hasn't been able to stay over it. And I believe he's listed 295, Tim, uh, you are the. Yeah. But you know, that's, uh, we've, we've heard of many times where people are listed at 295, they're 300 and that stuff, but obviously he's not as big as, uh, as, as you mentioned to Brian Kelly. Clearly not as big as your left guard was last year, but I mean, let's even that joke aside, he's clearly not as big as the right guard was last year either. He's just not as big as the Notre Dame guards have been, uh, but maybe he'll just be so technically sound and we should point this out. He's not as big, but if Spindler's down from 315 to 300, I mean, I, I trust that because I don't know why it would be listed. He was a right. spring early enrollee. They, they measured him at some point. Um, Zeke Carell has three springs, three summers and two seasons with Matt Bayless, Rocco Spindler, has a spring and a summer. So if you're probably weighing functional strength and ability to use it on a football field, you got to think Zeke Carell is right there still, right? Or ahead of but him. So it, that comes into play a little bit. I, I agree with you there. But I mean, if he's listed 295, d- double check that. Make sure. Is that right? He was listed uh, 295. Yeah. Okay, 295. 
if he's listed at 295, I'm sure he's 295. I mean, if he were 307, they would they would yeah. want him listed as that. Um, so we'll see. Look, there's there's still. I mean, I, I until we see otherwise, Corral is one of the top five offensive linemen, the five best offensive linemen, until we see otherwise, and Spindler will get an opportunity. The Patello thing is interesting in that Brian Kelly was adamant about saying he doesn't know where it came from. There are multiple people within the program that indicated that that Patello would might not be not might not be around this fall. I don't know that anybody definitively said wouldn't be, but might not be. I don't think that that situation is completely cleared up, but he was out there Saturday. He was getting 13 reps at least through the first 30 minutes of practice. Uh, just what your guys' perspective is on Battelle moving forward. Uh, I mean, he's out there. That's good. They need him for the pass rush to be as good as it needs to be. And I, I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's something to continue to work monitor. Uh, if we go to the second full practice, what is, is it a week from Thursday, perhaps? Um, I know we have the first one is this Thursday. But when, when we see the, the last full practice, mm-hmm. if Jordan Batello was getting third team reps at that one, then I'd be like, all right, something is a little bit off. Until then, I'm happy to sort of suspend judgment on this. Until then, I think we've decided it's doghouse, right? Yeah. Third steering reps, and I don't want to misspeak here, so either fifth or sixth line in the stretching drills. And for people that don't think that means anything, it means something because that's why Brian Kelly said our first 12 guys are our leaders. Plus add Jack Cohen and Houston Griffith, the first 12 guys in those stretching lines. They always have been. I mean, and when Kevin Stefferson was suspended, he was at the back. And when Dexter Williams was a senior returning, obvious leading rusher, but we knew he was going to be suspended, he wasn't in the front. So it's got something to do with it when you're lined up with walk-ons and you're Jordan Patello in those things. Uh, more important, as Pete points out, is where is he on the field? <laughs> Doesn't matter where you stretch. As long as you're out there, it's the number two Viper at some point, right? But I, I would assume he's just in the, it, that's a, probably a reflection of the doghouse right now. So if he's in the doghouse, then the rumors were true. But he could play, and I think then it won't matter. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I I think another. Yeah, yeah, I I think another telltale sign is that, and I know, I think, I know Justin Adamiola has has dabbled at Viper in before, but he was there on Saturday, and I, you know, I think we all thought that that was a little bit of a telltale sign as well. But the good news from a Notre Dame football standpoint is Jordan Patella was out there Saturday. We haven't heard otherwise up to this point, uh, and we will be out there on Thursday again to, to monitor that situation. Captains are, Brian Kelly said they would be named today. We, I don't know if we've been given a specific time or anything like that, but uh, he compared it to 2019 uh, when they had seven, correct? Uh, I, I think that there are at least that many candidates just because, I mean, I don't, you, don't, you don't have like three or four guys that separate themselves from everybody right, else. Right, um, I, I go go back ahead, to what Brian, I go back to what Brian Kelly has said in the past on this because most people on our message board are like, Seven captains is too many, and I and I get that. It, it seems odd. Why, you need that why, many. Why? What? I, I know. But, but how, now, is Brian, de- how is it a detriment to twenty twenty one Nordic football? I don't think it is at all. But my my point is what Kelly said once, and I think he said it. He must have said it in a year where he had a few. He had a smaller number. You know, sometimes I need six or seven guys to lead a team. Sometimes I need three guys to lead a team. It's just the particular voices. Like I could, if we start naming our top ten captain candidates. Some of these guys aren't going to stand up and command the entire team like Manti Teo would. 
or something along those lines. Does, does right. that make sense? So you just need yeah. guys that can lead in some way. And by the way, the notion that keeps popping up of offense, defense, special teams, they haven't had that since Charlie Weiss. So get that out of your head. It's not going to be one offense, one defense, one special team. It's over. I don't know. It's been 12 years since they've had that. So don't, not happening. I, you know, it's, it's not a team with dominant personalities at the top um, where I think you would sort of look side-eyed at some a captaincy pick. Like if they just put, I don't know, like, if Kyron Williams was a captain last year, would be like what? Um, <laughs> last year, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This year, or I guess uh, maybe maybe like more of a Kurt Heinrich, Myron Tiger because they had actually played. But um, we would still be like well, that. Doesn't make any sense. Um, so this year, I, there's not. There are some obvious choices, but there's not a Ian Book, Robert Hainsey obvious choice. There's not a Mike McGlinchey obvious choice. There's sure. not a. You know, I think even Dalen Hayes to a certain extent was an obvious choice based on some of the offseason work that he had done. So it, um, it's just a different dynamic. So like Brian Kelly said, some years you can probably have two captains, some years, seven. It, it's kind of whatever suits the personality of that particular roster. And they've trended up. I mean, I guess it was, it must've been 2018. They had four captains and the year before they had eight. And Sean Kaiser went pro and they re-added Josh Adams uh, or that re-added, they added Josh Adams in August. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in 2019 and six la- or five last year and probably could have had more. But Pete, as you pointed out, Robert Hainsey, Ian Book were so obvious going in. Um, we usually do miss on one, though. Remember the Tory Hunter was a captain and uh, Austin yeah. Webster, obviously, no. we famously could not have been uh, fully embraced enough to know that he was going to be named the captain. But it, what do you take your uh, you guys want to take your shots at the six, seven? Well, um, I mean, definitely Hamilton and, and Kyron Williams. Drew White, definitely. Um, Heinish, definitely, right? Heinish, yeah, definitely. Yeah. MTA, definitely. So how what have we said five? That's five. five. I, think yeah. I think there's five. Those are five gimmies. Uh, Patterson. Patterson will be captain. Patterson. Think, no, Patterson's incredibly a Of course. Yeah, automatic. There's he, six. He would. He might be first off, uh, offensively, probably um, so, with Williams. So that's my, yeah. my seventh is Avery Davis for what he's done at the program. I mean, quarterback, cornerback, running back, slot receiver that doesn't play, and just a receiver they count on. If that that's, and again, if you have seven captains, Avery Davis doesn't have to command a room and be Manti Teo because I mean, there can't be many guys more respected for their work ethic than Davis. Right. But then now we're leaving off Josh Lug and yeah, Bo Bauer, Bo Bauer who's a great teammate. Bo Bauer is so, a candidate yeah. as well. So that, and that, I mean, that's my whole point. They're good candidates. It's not, yeah. you don't have to stretch the bounds of Notre Dame football captaincy to, to, to expand it. I, I just don't, I, I, I have never understood a reaction to it. It's not a, it's not a negative uh, you know, I mean, traditionally, Notre Dame had two captains um, and we live in a world where I don't this isn't an exact comparison, but we do live in a everybody gets a blue ribbon world these days. And, and you know, I just don't I don't have a problem with it. I, I think all the guys that we mentioned are worthy and we could probably name a, a, a few more. You did not name Kyron Williams, who I think is also an automatic. Then I, I, I thought so, I thought I thought Tim did. Kyron's automatic, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. the, se- the seven to me are Hamilton White, MTA Heinish, Williams, Patterson. Oh, I'm sorry, I wrote down White twice. You did name Kyron Williams. That's yeah. how certain he is, Drew White. He's yeah. on there twice. 
who's on their 20s. It's like, I think there's six obvious ones, and then the seventh will be the one that we probably wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, that's right. We're going to miss the seventh is what you're saying. Yeah. There's no... I, I wondered, I actually, um, it was your, actually, it was your question, Pete. Uh, and I was curious as to what uh, your reaction to it was when you asked about the wide receivers and Brian Kelly said transformational. Laid it on pretty thick, didn't he? Um, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. But, I mean, that's something I think you and I have both heard talking to people around the program throughout the summer that Braden Lindsay has had a fantastic yes. offseason and came back in a with more maturity than he has shown in the past. I think Joe Wilkins was maybe a, more of a surprise to me than Lindsay was just because when I've talked to people around Notre Dame, Joe Wilkins doesn't come up as much as Lindsay and Keys do. Um, but that's good. I it doesn't really change my position that you Joe Wilkins as Notre Dame's leading receiver is not a great. Uh, outcome for the season in terms of the offense being more explosive, but Joe Wilkins is like an incredibly reliable fourth option is fine. Um, you know, it still has to be mayor. Austin has to yeah. get back to where yes. Notre Dame needs him to be. Uh, and then, you know, if, if Lindsay Wilkins Davis uh, yes. and keys are, our keys are all sort of like in a group of four, if they're all sort of get up to Davis's level of reliability, then that's, that's a healthy place to be because I don't think Notre Dame has necessarily been there lately. I think, you know, I think Joe Wilkins in the mid twenties in receptions with all those guys that you mentioned above him uh, or most of, at least most of those guys you mentioned above him. I mean, the, the Lindsay thing sheds a whole new light because I too was, was um, part of a conversation last week and, and it was Lindsay has taken a sig- significant step up and that's, that that is huge news. That, yes. that that's huge yes. news because he averaged 17 yards a catch when he as a uh, you know a couple of years ago in 2019. So him being what whether it be more mature or stronger or a combination of the both, uh, that is that is significant and something that can tilt that receiving core into a you know much more positive direction with the gimmies that have to be really the gimmies are Mayor Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams is going to catch a ton of passes. Yeah. And Tyree is certainly in a position to do the same thing. I believe I said this on a podcast, but now it becomes really relevant because a coach mentioned it. Braden Lindsay being a weapon this year for 12 games is huge. So if you want that to happen, you better have Joe Wilkins and Lawrence Keyes be able to take 20 of his snaps each game right. because Braden Lindsay won't be a weapon every week at 75 snaps a game. There's He can't get another concussion. He cannot have anything wrong with his hamstring. And he should not be going over the middle blocking for 75 snaps when Joe Wilkins can do some of that as well. Like that, that's, it's a gotta be a team effort and that would really help Lindsay. Uh, before I, I do want to talk a little bit of recruiting in this segment, but before we get to that, Tim, you were, you wrote, uh, put a piece together on weight losses and gains and just some of the, some of the guys that really stand out. We've talked about Corral being a 295 being one of them, but some of the other guys. I think, you know, as much as freshmen are the lead story here, because boy, the freshmen led the way <laughs> in weight gains, like Jason Anya obviously got on the, on the, on the late Kona Schwenke's program of, okay, you're moving positions. So he gained 44 pounds from his listing. You're now. using it. And Tim, you're using their they weight. Had summer listings. No, they had summer listings on Notre Dame's website. So I went with the UND.com okay. summer listing. Now obviously okay. they didn't gain this in the summer, but if they put on yay down, I put at 245. I'm putting him down at 245. Somebody said he might have been 260. Well, then Anya gained 29 pounds. That's still pretty good. Uh, Jaden Thomas looked every bit of 215 pounds. I don't know. They measured him at 185 prior. 
whatever he gained, he's big looking dude, a wide receiver. I, think. I mean, he's just casting. That was one of the first figure. things you and I comment on when we got there. It's like, well, and there had been some video out there. Yeah. He actually yeah. looked a little bit trimmer than the video we had seen. He, he but did. Uh, Joe Alt, I think you guys are not surprised. Joe Alt gained the 25 pounds that Pete and both of you, I think, have referenced on a podcast. Um, it's good to hear Joe. Joe Johnson came in at 16 plus um, because 175, he wasn't going to be tackling guys from Clemson and Alabama in the playoffs at 175. Yeah. Now, I think the, the really important ones, because it's mostly freshmen dotting this list, but Riley Mills up 10 to 283. If he continues to move the way he does, that is a one-two punch for real with Jason Adamiola and Riley Mills. I know we like to talk about freshmen, but that's the one, right? Yeah. Riley well, Mills at Riley Mills moving the same at 283 would be a train. I mean, wrecking people. Um, Justin Adamiola put on a little, um, and I think, you know, he's, we already believe he is a ideal strong side reserve for MTA. And Tim, you make a great point that he's not a Viper in a perfect world. He is MTA's one B or one C if there's no one right. B and, and Patel is back there. So Guys like Pine put on a little bit with six pounds. And um, the one other guy I thought was relevant to what he's trying to do, Isaiah Pryor gained 13 pounds, clearly for his backup rover role, where, remember, he was just cast into that backup rover role right. last year. So right. that becomes relevant if anything happens to Jack Kaiser. We, I, there's a couple of fresh my while talking, but I'm, we're, we're going to save it with the questions in the second segment. But let go ahead, Tim. Uh, we should point out because it is huge. Lacey losing 18 pounds puts him in position to be one of those guys in the, in the rotation. Now he'll be, he'll be behind Mills and or Adamiola and Mills, but he can still play now. I mean, that, that is as deep as you get. They have three deep inside of Jacob Lacey's healthy yeah. and viable because he's wanna, taken I'm, a lot I'm, of snaps. I'm really interested to see him play because he, yeah. he has not, I mean, because, mainly because of injuries and mainly when he was yeah. playing, he was a freshman, but he needs to be a playmaker if he's going to, I mean, Go to some there. extent, yeah. if he's going to move out of the, the nose tackle position. Let's wrap up with, I believe we had news of CJ Merriweather um, for our last podcast, but uh, no surprise, but it's good to, good to hear it and see it. CJ Williams, that is one hell of a one, two punch in the recruiting class of 2022. Yeah. It's, I mean, you look at top 20 receivers in the 24 seven sports composite, either committed or signed from the last two cycles. And if you just sort of extracted every crystal ball, projection out to be a commitment you would get 37 of 40 committed uh, Notre Dame has four of those in Styles, Colsey, CJ Williams and Tobias Merriweather it's tied for second with Alabama and LSU and all, only Ohio State has more with seven so if you were clamoring for Notre Dame to recruit better outside which I think was a appropriate clamor um, you're getting what you want there and what Notre Dame needs yeah, and my depth chart impact story for C.J. Williams, if if guys, if guys, Kevin Oster were to come back next year, Tobias Merriweather at 125 will be the fifth highest rated guy on the roster at wide receiver. That's pretty good. Now, he may not come back, so he'll be fourth, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's nice. That's And they're all the last two cycles other than Austin. Well, if we all remember uh, post-Alabama and a Samson question that got Brian Kelly pretty excited <laughs> – um, I don't know where this came from, Pete. We were 10 yeah, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and what, I mean, basically what he was saying was the difference. And, and I agree with them because in the trenches, Notre Dame definitely held their own and won on many occasions in the second half against Alabama. But he, but Brian Kelly stressed that it was skill position people that made a difference. And if you want to narrow the gap, they're certainly doing that at wide receiver. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. 
Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards of Irish Illustrated Insider. I think we opened with a question from Wash ND last week. We are again today. Are you surprised there appears to be very little drama forthcoming at quarterback, offensive line, or at the other safety spot opposite Kyle Hamilton? I don't think the this other might safety is. I was going to say this is a more interesting question for uh, September 9th than August 9th. Because um, I think that's this might be a team that, they, the coaching staff feels and believes it's one way, and then they road test it at Florida State, and they figure out, oh, uh, actually, we maybe need to reevaluate some things. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's enough uh, veteran competition at safety for it to be entertaining. I think they are going in with Houston Griffith and DJ Brown opposite Kyle Hamilton, and that's what they're going to do. I like KJ Wallace. I think Tim and I both ranked KJ Wallace over Houston Griffith. I know I did one spot uh, <laughs> in the countdown, but it's as a nickel, a guy that contributes. Yeah. And plays. He's, I don't think he's the, he can hold, he would start over Houston Griffith. Uh, quarterback, we didn't expect any drama. Do you guys expect drama? No, definitely. There's even less than, less than well, I would have expected. Yeah, which by, is minimal. by stating that the decision will be made less yeah. than a week after they actually started practice. I mean, there's, they start on Saturday and decision is going to be made after this Thursday scrimmage. I, yeah, I but that was that. my question. Is that practice six or five? Do they have a day off? Do you know? Because that would be cool. We'll be at they the scrimmage. It. They listed as six. All right. Well, we That's will be at the scrimmage where they decide on Jack Cohen being the starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think, and I, you know, I know some people are pulling for Drew Pine and, and I, I get it. He made a really strong impression upon people um, in the winter and spring with his leadership. I got, I got a lot of positive feedback on how he pulled guys together and that's all good, but you go out and you get Jack Cone from Wisconsin. He's six foot three and a quarter. I, I think we all are kind of, it's kind of nice to see a bigger quarterback back there. <laughs> you just want change. You know, the guy that doesn't run and the guy that's not short is all you're looking for, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I think that he's, I think he's the best option right now. Yeah. And I, you know, I, and long-term it's going to be Tyler Butner. I'm convinced of that. I continue to look every time I do a story, about the quarterbacks, you look up his stats from his junior year in high school, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, you th- you throw for four thousand yards, and then you rush for sixteen hundred. But you know, he and I am sure a lot of people would like to see him get a, a better shot. And there, there he gained eight pounds. He gained eight pounds, by the way. Yeah, and there could conceivably be a goal line or red zone package for him. We'll see about that. But I mean, isn't it, don't don't you want the six foot three quarterback that threw for twenty seven hundred yards and you know in the Big Ten and went to the Rose Bowl? Yeah. I I just think that that's certainly the best starting point. That's when the quarterback competition ended for me. When Pete Byrne of WSBT asked Brian Kelly, "Has anything Cohen done previously gone into your decision making, or is it all what he does here?" And Kelly's like, "Yeah, a lot of what he's done previously goes in the decision making." In other words. I know who my starting quarterback is. We've seen him play football at a high level for Wisconsin. It's just so so that, that was it. It's so hard for a backup quarterback. I mean, unless the guy that's projected as a starter lays an egg during August, it's, right. it's so he, difficult for the, the – or, or opening week, right? Yes. Yeah, or – yeah, I mean, no, I think – This make a, is all 
Yeah, I think you make a good point that it could, you know, that and that would be one position where you would say after game one, okay, maybe we need to take a closer look at Pine yeah, or Butner. I mean, bringing in Jack Cohn, part of bringing in Jack Cohn is for that game and not losing it. Like, Jack Cohn started a Rose Bowl. I know he's starting for Notre Dame for the first time, and it's a little different. Like, there'll be butterflies that wouldn't be there if he was Wisconsin's mm-hmm. fifth-year starter. But the butterflies aren't the same as it would be for Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine in Tallahassee at night with the chop going, right? Jack Cohn yeah. can kind of handle that. And it, it's – I mean, I'm, I think all three of us were we're all looking forward to, to going down in that environment again. And and, yeah. and I know Florida State's not the typical Florida State, but they are going to be better. They've they've shipped in some some transfers that are going to make them better, especially defensively, which is probably where they need it more than anything. But, no, I, I don't I, – none of us are really surprised, no drama, at least – you know, uh, having seen a 30 minute practice, but an offensive line was really, I mean, it really came down to Madden's going to end up being a starter. I think we all agree on that. And it just really came down to uh, is Patterson really going to play uh, center as opposed to guard. So at least at this stage, no drama, but Pete, I think you make a good point that the drama could come after, um, you know, after competition that really, really counts. And on a related note, Irish John M. Is Notre Dame truly going to start a left guard who weighs less than 300 pounds and struggles to gain weight? That seems like a severe liability in both the run of the pass. Am I missing something? I don't, I don't, well, I mean, I don't think you're missing something other than if, if Zeke Carell is the best technician, would you rather have somebody that's a, that is lesser technician that weighs 15 pounds more? I don't think that, I don't think that makes the difference. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not just a weight thing. It's how you play the position. And my perception is that, that Carell is one of the best five, at least at this point. I, I think it's going to be an ongoing story throughout all camp, right? Like, they're, oh, yeah. Kane Madden and Zeke Carell is not an overwhelming guard combination in terms of just, like, pure size. But, you know, the technical aspect of it is always not always more important, but, like, it's so critical to whether that position works or not. Um, it's not just throwing out like the biggest dudes you can find, but I, I do the competition at left guard, I think is going to be an ongoing one. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they stand up starting multiple guys at that spot this season. Hey, let's uh, let's jump ahead and roll finish up with the offensive line talk. But these two questions, Tim from CMU Penns fan, do you all think, right, Tosh, do you think Tosh Baker has surpassed Blake Fisher for a starting spot? Or do you think Blake, has run into some struggles since the spring and drew Brennan on that note, drew Brennan 77 Do you envision a scenario where Baker impresses so much that he starts at right tackle moving lug inside. And I think we are down to three possibilities, right? The five that we just said, Madden and Corral at guard. Yeah. Lug at guard with Baker at tackle or Spindler taking over for Corral. None of us buy lug at guard. No, we don't. Right? No. So, I mean, especially- we're, we're probably down to Corral. I mean, to Spindler is the main flying the ointment for what the five are right yeah and yeah i mean i thought i mean i thought it was fairly clear based upon what we were allowed to see that Mm -hmm. fisher outplayed baker in the spring i thought baker kind of would lunge too much and and fisher doesn't do that um now fisher is also listed 335 he gained weight he gained like i'm pulling up right now and actually when i didn't really notice if tosh baker lost or gained but blake fisher is up to three thirty-five. I oh, gained five pounds. That's not maybe this. What maybe they asked him to lose five and he gained five, and that's why nothing is set for Blake Fisher, according to Brian Kelly in practice number one. Right? Sometimes it gets that that simple. 
Like, oh, hey, you're okay, supposed to so, lose five, you gain five. You know, like that. That's so are people reacting to his comment about? Yeah, I, because I brought I brought up Fisher whether it sure. made the decision on Patterson easier based upon Fisher's development in the spring, and then he, you know, then he said nothing's been given to Fisher. I think that's just more. He's a true fresh freshman. He hasn't taken a snap yet, and so you don't want to declare him as a starter after one practice. But yes, I, don't, I mean, I don't think Blake Fisher's not going to lose. Blake Fisher's going to be the starting left tackle for this team, is he not? I would think I would bet a healthy amount he starts at left tackle against Florida State. Yep, same. But I want to bring up this is why on our countdown, Tim, we didn't have Blake Fisher anointed as the king of all college football linemen because. His best day will not be at Tallahassee or against Wisconsin or against Cincinnati in his Notre Dame career. His best days are coming in the future, and right. his spring and his, days were easier than those will be. And his worst days at Notre Dame are coming this fall. Right. No doubt about it. Not that, not that yeah. he's going to be bad. I don't no, think he's of course going not. to be bad. <laughs> but when we're rating players, I mean, a, a true freshman that hasn't taken a snap yet, it's difficult for us to slot him ahead of other people that have been in the program because – I mean, that experience counts, whether it's actual game experience or time in the weight room or practice experience. It's all That's why they have Jack Cohn instead of Tyler Buckner. Right, right. It's all part of – we had somebody ask a question about the process. I didn't include that. But, I mean, it's all part of the process. Going Next back to, all right, so we're done with the offensive line? Done with the offensive line for this. You know, well, you know what? I guess not. <laughs> That's another one. But uh, I Dockery's asks, Brian Kelly said there were two freshmen who were not overwhelming, who were not overwhelmed. Whereas a guy like Jojo Johnson was a typical freshman in that regard. Any idea who the two freshmen are? I'm, I'm almost positive. I know one of them and it's Joe Alt. I, I, the things that, that, that I have heard about Joe Alt before his first practice last Saturday, not only size, but, and a lot of it has to do with his dad. that was a veteran NFL Guy, longtime NFL guy, and I'm sure he, you know, he has a jump on a lot of people just based upon growing up with a dad that played in the NFL and knows exactly how to teach his son the right steps to become a quality offensive lineman. But Joe Alt is a guy that, you know, and actually, now we I could tie this into another question, Tim, about offensive line, which I will from uh, from Any Davis. Any yeah. chance of freshman offensive lineman outside of Fisher Spindler? sneaks into the competition. He mentioned that Coogan, who did look big, and Alt are big muchachos. Again, size isn't isn't necessarily a determining factor. But I think I think Joe Alt can I think Joe Alt will start the season. I think there's a good chance he starts the season as a number two. Yeah, maybe, well maybe if, two A. I you know I don't I don't know. It's too early. But he'll be with the varsity you're saying rather than I think there. so. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a... Pete, what have you heard positive things about Joe Alt? Uh, I mean, just that he's much bigger and the physical development has been a pleasant surprise for the coaching staff. Um, but I don't, I don't see him in any world competing for playing time this year in a, in a no. meaningful way, which is fine. Um, you know, that's what you would prefer it to be. I, I thought, it, assuming we're not talking about their, the mid-year enrollees, which I'm assuming that we're not, because I don't think the coaches sort yeah, of view them yeah. as, as freshmen anymore right, when I you agree. ask. When you ask for freshman impressions, they're like, "Well, let me tell you tell you about the the June enrollees because like the thirteen guys they're new, yeah." Um, but when I asked around about that in the summer, uh, Dion Colsey was mentioned way up there, and I th- I was told that like he will be a recruiting hit for us. Um, so if that's true, he may be the other guy. Um, 
again, doesn't mean he's going to play this year. Probably not going to have a significant role, but they already feel like they know that he will come good for Notre Dame. So maybe he's the other one. I'd say two things on that. One, Pete, you just got everybody really excited and then popped the lead, little lead balloon situation there. And you said he might not even play this year, but and people are going, why, why, why is he not going to play this year? And number two is Brian Kelly said, you will notice the two guys that aren't overwhelmed. And he was referring to them when we come to a future practice, because all we saw these guys do was stretch on, uh, on Saturday, yeah, we're coming. We might we might get a chance to find out who's not overwhelmed on Thursday when we go out there and look. When at we the, the we team. left we left the IAC to go outside and we had did we have five minutes? I mean it was like five minutes actually outside. Um, so no, we didn't get a chance to see a ton. I the other guy the other freshman could be Jaden Thomas. Yeah, that's the yeah. other. <laughs> He's too big to be overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I, the other. This is kind of a guess, but I did hear positive feedback on him, and I did. I thought it was interesting to see how much coaching he was taking during the thirty minutes that we were there, and that was Logan Diggs. I don't know, you know, I don't know how he certainly he certainly doesn't get past the top two on the depth chart, but uh, I think they've got some really high hopes. I don't know how soon, but they have high hopes about Logan Diggs as well. That's a great position to rotate for if you if you if you're able to do yep. it. There's no problem yep. with four fresh running backs. Uh, I'm kind of mixed up on our questions here now, Tim. Uh, Gavin, you? Yep. Do you expect J.D. Bertrand to get any playing time at linebacker this year? Brian Kelly keeps bringing him up. It seems like he would uh, make a great Mike linebacker in the future. I think he brings him up as the example of a guy that I have trouble getting on the field that they like because they have White, Simon, Bauer, and Leah Fow at Buck or at Will and and Mike. Um, I can't imagine Bertrand's beating out White or Bauer. I could imagine Mike. Bertrand beating out Simon, not with Clark Lee, but maybe with Marcus Freeman. But now I'm just I think they just play Bauer then, right? I mean, yeah. I think yeah, they like I, would, Bert, I think they like Bertrand a lot. He mentioned Bertrand last year in special teams. Like he's he's already Bertrand's always been mentioned. Yeah, he, he they just have some players. My my question was about the Will linebacker, and Kelly said, actually, Kelly gave me good advice. I didn't write the story. He said, why don't you ask Marcus Freeman? I will sit out here and listen to him with you guys. It's a good point. We're we're gonna wait on that Will story. Let Marcus Freeman talk to us on Tuesday. But there's they do have a lot of guys that kind of brings up a good question. Four guys. Is it good to have four really good guys that can't separate because they're good? Or just would you rather have two All-Americans and a couple backups? Uh, you'd rather have two All-Americans. I was, all backups. I was just trying to get Pete to say it. I would vote you for idiot. Trying to get you involved in the conversation there. So no, sure. it's, I mean, Bertrand is um, probably a deeper cut for fans, but the coaches really like him. And they have since he showed up. It's just like, like you guys were saying, he's stuck in a position where there's not available playing time and there's not going to be most of the season, but you be all four special be. teams, mm-hmm. be a, be a five-year player and a multi-year starter. Yeah. That, for, that's great. For the record, he is a junior. He's a, a red shirt sophomore. I guess yeah. you could eat, you could give him another year uh, based on the pandemic, but yeah. um, you know, I, I, I mean, we really don't know. I, we were always, we were always a little confused, right? That uh, Clark Lee was playing Shane Simon as much as he did. I don't know if Marcus Freeman looks at him the same way. I, I think he kind of does. J.D. Bertrand's name is always mentioned. I think next year it's probably a little bit more likely where where Bertrand could get significant playing time in twenty two twenty three. Yeah, assuming that 
Drew White moves on after his fifth year. And kind of like to Pete's point about Colsey, the coaches talk that way. And Brian Kelly does too. When he says, we really like them with this, he's a really good player. They don't always mean Florida state. They mean what's happening next year. What's happening in the future, how the program views them. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, a a coach can say, we really like this guy, but he may not have a real grasp of the big picture concept of what they're trying to do, but they know in time, they know physically he's good. And in time he will, he will catch up in the other department. So, uh, Point taken by what you're saying there, Tim. Next from Kay Beasley, would an early Dante Moore commitment be the next huge step to keep recruiting momentum at this pace? That would that yes, I would call that a huge step. That would be that would be massive. That would be awesome. That would keep the momentum going. I just don't know that a, a player of Dante Moore's magnitude is ready to verbally commit in August um, prior to his junior season. I mean, this guy. No. I mean, that's a kid that's going to be wined and dined and there's going to be a lot of recruiting going on with Dante Moore. But the answer is yes, right? That's a big one. (laughs) Jeez, I don't want to overstate it, but I mean, we always talk about about difference makers that can take you to a national championship. I think Dante Moore is is that kind of quarterback. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's if if Notre Dame is going to contend for national titles, and they're and they're not going to do the take a five star quarterback every single year or like attempt to. Um, you know, and look, Oklahoma does sort of the every other Clemson sort of does the every other it's fine for Notre Dame to do the every other, but this is 23 is the year. It's gotta be, they get, um, they gotta get the follow-up to Tyler Buckner now. Um, Dante Moore is somebody that everybody in the country wants. So it's, uh, it's a hell of a challenge for, for Tommy Reese to, to pull off, but I do think sort of fitting together with CJ Williams, Tobias Merriweather, mm-hmm. uh, previously styles previously Colsey like I mean I, I remember talking to CJ Williams and he said like you know the perception is Notre Dame doesn't want to throw the ball um I disagree after talking to Reese but that perception is out there so Notre Dame is recruiting it sort of against its its own type in some ways um you know but I think that sort of having these more four-star top 100 receivers come in that's that should help you with somebody like Dante Moore what, yeah, Tim, what are your thoughts on Dante Moore? And I was going to say, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm going on a segue now for what Pete said. I, you know, that, that's a really interesting point, Pete. I, I hope they f- kind of shoot back with, you know, last year was a run-heavy team because we had the best offensive line in the country. Our MVP was a wide receiver the year before. Our, wide re- our leading wide receiver the year before that absolutely tore up the combine as a breakout player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, we, our wide receiver was our team MVP and – two other years for three other years for four or three other years for Brian Kelly. Like that's, they don't, that last year they just did the right thing. And I, I'm sure the staff is able to combat that with uh, Chase Claypool. Anybody want to just, just left. He was the local point of the entire offense. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Pete with Pete and you, Tim Dante Moore in 2023. That's how you do it. That's how you recruit it. Uh, you, you and I got an argument last year on a one, two, three, Tim, where I said, just put Trevor Lawrence on Notre Dame. And we're not having this conversation about it. Can you win a national title? Not Trevor Lawrence, but he's the guy you need to get, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he is. And, you know, whether they get Dante Moore or not, Avery Johnson, that's another name to throw in. I don't think that he's nearly as far along as Dante Moore. I've had some people, um, some of our subscribers disagree with that. But I, I think that from a from a passing the football standpoint, I don't think that he's I don't think that he's shown that he's in he's anywhere in that realm that Dante Moore is in, but 
you know, we'll see how that works out. And our accidentally related question to finish, ND Squid 23. Nationally, the perception seems to be that Notre Dame team will take a big step back. But as a whole, the program is as healthy as it's been for 20 plus years. Should double digit wins be the floor and moving forward? I, I think this year will go a long way towards answering that question. And it's because of this. And I've said it, everybody's heard me say it a million times. Nine guys drafted, five guys signed as free agents. So that's 14 NFL level players that walked out the door in years past, Notre Dame would take a, a, a significant step back this year because they didn't have the depth and just the overall talent to maintain the 10, 11 win season. I think they, it, they've developed that depth. I think they have that talent and we will, we will know a lot better after this season, whether 10 is the, the low bar, I guess. I, I think it is. I believe I it, is. it is too. I, I believe it is too. And I know Pete and I are both, thinking, well, if they win the first game, 10's a low bar. <laughs> Seems like there's just more questions in that first game than there would normally be. But that's why when I had Jack Cohn, whatever, 17th ranked, I don't think it's a, in any way, shows that Notre Dame's going to have a rough year. I think they have a lot of good players not led by the quarterback. I, I mean, there's I plenty think of good Notre players. Dame, I mean, Notre Dame, to me, will take a step back this year and win 10 games. Like right. That's like, good. That's and good. Squid is sort of like right on both sections of the question here in my opinion like I, I don't I see this this edition of Notre Dame football sort of being like kind of like a bridge team to get to Buckner, Colsey, Styles, Spindler, Fisher, Mills, like Foskey, Patello, you know all all the stuff that's coming down the pipe like I don't I guess I sort of I don't view this team as like a serious playoff contender which is okay because i don't think Notre Dame is sort of built to like do the clemson alabama ohio state thing but i think it should win 10 games and sort of be you'll you'll sort of see the first steps of Notre Dame's next great team coming a couple years down the road i agree that this team this team takes a step back and, and specifically where they take a step back is you know they were i mean they were tremendous on third down last year and and a lot of it was short yardage stuff and i just don't i don't think that I mean, I don't think that the running game is going to come quite as easily. Now, having said that, you got you love you love Kyron Williams and, and Chris Tyree. You know those guys are quality backs. It has nothing to do with that. It's just the consistency and the consistent push up front in the running game in the third and shorts. I just don't think those come as as easily as they did last year. Yeah, I, I agree with the running back point. Um, the reason I think they're the playoff for me though is more about the schedule. Like next year. Notre Dame is a playoff contender if it splits its two biggest games and the next year. This year, if they split their two biggest games, they're out. Whatever their two biggest games are, if they're 11-1 and and they split them, they're probably out, right? Who Notre Dame lose to? Oh, they beat North Carolina and lost to USC. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that's not as I good mean, as Oklahoma, it probably. It depends what everybody else that oh, does. Oh, of course. Of course. But, like, but, other teams win. I mean, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma are probably going to lose one game as opposed to two. So then you're going against those teams trying to get in for the spot. I mean, what if you look, you know, that five game stretch that we've talked about, what if you lose a, a shootout, you lose by three in one of those, you know, uh, Wisconsin or USC yeah. or North Carolina. I feel like they then need to be Clemson to get in. Does that make sense? As opposed to North Carolina or. No, I, USA, I, mean, I, I, you know? I, yeah, yeah. I get the difference. I yeah. get the significance of the difference. Uh, but I mean, so much is contingent upon what, it, you know, everybody else 
is doing. I, I like oh, the I idea see. of I'm, Notre I'm, Dame I'm, losing a shootout to Wisconsin. I think that is uh, as, I, if, as I, if that could even happen. I actually uh, didn't exactly have that game <laughs> in mind when North I North Carolina, <laughs> right? That's the yeah. It was yeah. more. It was more but so. That, I mean, but. you got Clemson and Georgia playing week one. They it like they they both would whoever loses the game would still be ahead of a, yeah. an eleven and one Notre Dame at the end. So it's like you're sort of behind immediately because both those teams will be, I think, in contention ahead of you. I, in a one-loss situation. So one, yes. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thursday we're going to. I'm sorry. Tuesday we're going to have Marcus Freeman. Uh, Tim and I will be in attendance, and I and Pete will too, of course. But. Um, We'll probably do a uh, instant analysis after that. And then we have the full practice on Thursday. Uh, there's going to be a ton of information that's going to carry us for, for a few days after that. We're really looking forward to that. We appreciate you joining us here today on Irish Illustrated Insider.